This is Graphic Novel TK, your podcast guide to comic book publishing. Hi, and welcome to Graphic Novel TK. I'm Gina Gagliano. And I'm Allison Wilgus. We're excited to talk today about design. It's basically the process of making books the prettiest, which is obviously the best. <laughs> um, so we have an exciting guest here today. Um, Hillary, do you want to introduce yourself and tell us a little about who you are, how you got into comics, and what you're doing now? Yeah, um, I'm Hillary Thompson. Thank you for having me. And um, I live in Portland, Oregon with two very adorable black cats named Ziggy and Ozzy. And they're the loves of my life. <laughs> and other than that, I am a happy little designer at Oni Press, and I enjoy everything from print media to digital design to branding and experience design. Um, and if you walked into my apartment, you would just be bombarded by stacks of books everywhere because <laughs> I'm also an avid book collector, so there's books all over my life. <laughs> it's fine. It's research. I mean, that is also my apartment, so... Um... And also mine. Yeah, it's just like Ravenclaw's, man. I don't know. But <laughs> but yeah, so my mom says it looks like creative clutter, but she's just trying to be nice. <laughs> so I started diving into design work like 10 years ago, and I was doing Harry Potter fan graphics on Photoshop 7, <laughs> which is really fun. That's awesome. And, uh, and I was smitten, and I just spent all my time trying to learn and also learn how to code. So that's also another passion of mine, which kind of helps with technical design a little bit. So um, I went to college for design and I spent a year as a design editor for a newspaper where I learned so much about InDesign, so many like key commands and everything. And then I got the job at Oni and they posted that online through Craigslist. So I've been there for four years and that's all I've been doing so far, just fueling my eternal passion for books. <laughs> and it's not stopping from here, apparently. Oh my God, you got your job on Craigslist? That's like, I've literally never heard of that. <laughs> Should I say that or no? No, it's great. I mean, I, I think that there's this feeling like, I was actually just talking to friends about this the other day, that every time a job gets listed for any comics company, it's like a formality and somebody's already pegged for that job and there's basically no point in applying for that job. But exactly. it's like being reminded that sometimes people do just list a job mm -hmm. and people get it is yeah. good. Yeah, it was yeah. pretty fabulous to like come out of college and be like, oh, that good old only press that I love is looking for a designer. I'm just going to apply, you know, like not thinking that you might get it. Because there's there's someone that you look up to and then you get it and you're just like, wow, they're really nice people. <laughs> or like, is that, that's the same with anybody is everybody's nice, but the computer kind of blocks you from that. Yeah, I think that possibly getting a job off of Craigslist might be more common in non-New York yeah. publishers. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. There's and also too a lot a lot bigger because we only have about 20 people working with us, which is a lot compared to the past years we've had. We had as little as 11 when I worked there. Yeah, 20 you know, sounds like a lot, actually. Yeah, yeah. no, I, especially for yeah, for all just sitting in one room together. So we're happy that there's a little bit. There's more projects as we grow in size, and then there's more people to cover those projects. So a little bit less stress. <laughs> That's ideal, actually. Yeah, so it's pretty nice. You get to work really closely together, and everybody's like really good friends. So, well, so can you tell us a little about the day to day of your job? Like, you come in, you get into work, and then what happens? So, yeah, so I come in, and like what I love about publishing is that a lot of the projects are long term, so you can always have something to do. There's never a moment where you don't have something to work on. 
but it depends on if you have something really short term sprout up that's totally different than a book design because at Oni we have to kind of wear a lot of hats. Everybody just kind of has to do everything all the time in terms of, you know, the general focus of what you do. So day to day I could be doing, uh, you know, just scheduling or having a slow day where I can schedule or just kind of go around and ask people like, what I, can I see what they're working on? Do they need help and do critiques and things like that? You know, print things out and really, really take a detailed view of a project, which is really exciting and we love when we have time to do that. But otherwise, it's usually a lot of different small things that sprout up along the way of a longer book design, kind of, because we have more time to do that. So you kind of do that a little slower because you want to cherish those moments of slowness. But we could do anything from, or me in particular, anything from book design to like a logo design or interior design to social media graphics, um, technical things like prepping artwork for print or fixing the printer if it jams, um, helping with our data management because I like to do things like that as well. And even keeping the office clean, like just anything from that. But in terms of design, it's usually either print projects or digital projects and helping critique and make sure that our schedule stays on track. I think that's probably a pretty good blanket of what I do. You're talking about sometimes you have like a little, like a small job that comes up from an ongoing project. Like what kinds of things come up specifically? Yeah. Like the kind of bigger small projects would be like a rush ad for Publishers Weekly because those are kind of formulaic, but when they come up, they have to be done now, you know, or it's just pretty quick. And so you might be working on the same type of book and the same book batch or the things that are going on sale. But so at least you have the design fresh in mind, but they'll come up and they need to be done within a day versus two weeks or four weeks for a book design. So those will come up and you have to drop everything and do those. And uh, some people don't respond well to that. So being a senior designer, I'm always like hearing what's happening to make sure I can like calm them down if they get frazzled, uh, make sure it gets out the door and make sure it's up to our standards. But yeah, those little projects like that where you could be cruising along, kind of be like, oh, I love this logo design. I'm doing research, doing something a little bit more open ended. And then all of a sudden something comes in and, you know, or we need fix a cover comp has like the wrong author name on it and it has to be fixed right now. And and it's so down to us to fix it. There's only four of us in our department. So it's just down to us to drop everything and make sure those things get done because nobody else really can use the programs or has the licenses to the programs. So for you, it's not only like I have to fix this cover, but also possibly I have to make sure that these other people who might also have to fix a cover aren't freaking out or forgetting to do it or. Exactly. Yeah. I kind of have to like art direct or in also to, to kind of like design direct, make sure like technical aspects are on point and be like, oh, you just saved that as RGB and these VCMYK and things like that. So I'm always kind of like looking out for what everybody else is doing to, to make sure we don't have more problems in the future, I guess, to interrupt us from doing the larger book designs. Try to keep it smooth. <laughs> I mean, that's great because it's so easy to have a long day and just forget to tick the right box. Yeah, exactly. It's so true. And stuff like that. It's, just, it's like nobody's in trouble. There's no fault. I don't get mad at anybody because we have to move really fast. So as long as somebody's trying to look out for the fact that we are moving fast, then hopefully mistakes won't be made. <laughs> Someday you will forget to tick the box. I know. And I'll be like thankful that I've never been upset about it at somebody else. And I'll be like, please be nice. <laughs> please. <laughs> so you've been talking about ad design and logo design and critiquing books and uh, interior design, like all of that stuff. But are there some parts of your job that 
aren't necessarily as directly related to design, like meetings or conferences or kind of stuff that someone might not expect if they apply for a job as a designer and think that what they're going to be doing is eight to 10 hours a day sitting at their computer and lettering things? Yeah. So there are a lot of meetings and there's a lot of just kind of like maintaining even file structure, like down to the very nitty gritty technical stuff of file structure, file naming conventions, uh, making sure internal branding is good and making sure our brand guidelines are updated. And also to going to conventions is a huge part of it of something that you wouldn't expect as a designer to be important for them to attend. And also something that not everybody's comfortable with talking to large crowds or talking to people they don't know. And it takes like a certain type of personality, I think to do that. So I think it's important for at least one person or two people in the department to actually like to sell books that are designers because they can talk about what it takes to make the book and get people excited about how it even came to be. (laughs) So that's my favorite part. And I know my fellow designer, Kate Stone, she worked at a bookstore for a long time. So she just like loves everything about publishing as well. And so she and I are both very excited about the books and talking to people about books. So that's a part of the job. Not most people would assume you'd think, again, like you said, you're behind the desk, but we love talking to people as well because like we, we design it for an audience. We don't just design it for ourselves. So that's an important aspect, I think, of publishing and of graphic design versus fine art. We're providing a service more or less for somebody else, like for the readers and for the authors to be happy. So we have to have that connection and empathy with other people. Something that isn't really written in a job description. So I have two follow-up questions for what you just said that I'm really interested in. So Mm -hmm. one, you talked about things like file naming conventions and Mm -hmm. guidelines. So can you talk a little bit more about that? Because is the point of that basically a bunch of different people have to be working on these books and they have to be able to look at something and instantly understand what they're looking at? Yeah, I think it's, um, I guess for the brand guidelines, that would be more for just the company logos or if we see mistakes, we have to double check and be like, this logo doesn't fit really well on this new trade dress or something. If we change formats or something, we change margin sizes and we forgot to think that, oh, this like our own logo doesn't translate well to this. Or we have a new book that has a really tiny spine and our logo doesn't fit on it. So we're like, okay, how are we going to fix this for this new problem that's never been proposed to us before? So being able to speak out about that and make sure that it stays within only press brand standards, but we might have to take off the box of our logo for one tiny little spine. And that's okay. As long as we all come to a consensus about it, but things like that and um, file naming conventions too, because there's so many different people working on these files that the amount of time gets wasted when we're asking each other, where is this? Like, where did you say that as, you know, and sometimes we'll just be like, okay, we have to just readdress this because everybody keeps getting it wrong. So then it, you kind of have to stop and fix things you have to slow down in order to speed up i think sometimes yeah it's an important part of communication with your team and that's also another thing about design i think that isn't in the job description necessarily well it sort of is but is being able to be open and communicative when things are not working versus when things are working well like if you keep having to stop and spend five minutes explaining your indesign file to somebody maybe you should set your indesign file up differently Exactly. Yeah, together. And then you don't have to stop every five minutes, which adds up a lot in the end. (laughs) And the other thing I wanted to ask about is so when you're doing conventions, are you working the booth? Are you doing panels? Like what kinds of work are you doing at a convention? Personally, I've sold at the booth, which is mostly what everybody at ONI would do because 
uh, we don't hire an outside sales team and we know our books best. So it's pretty fun to talk to people and be like, yeah, I worked on that. Like you, you worked on it. We're like, yeah, we're right here. But I've been on a panel once and that was definitely a new experience for me, a design panel, which is super fun. But yeah, so it could be anything from panels to, uh, to selling and also just trying to connect with creators and people you have never met before that that we work with just through, you know, emails in passing. And then it's nice to go up and meet them and just kind of make like put a face to the name, things like that. Eat a lot of food. <laughs> food is important at conventions. It's extremely important. Yes. I mean, it's important all the time, but <laughs> especially at conventions where I feel like everyone is liable to fall over if they do not remember to feed themselves. I brought a case of kind bars to San Diego. <laughs> yeah, it's so easy to forget. <laughs> okay, so going back to design work at your desk, can you talk us through the, the process of cover design? Uh, someone at Oni comes in and is like, hello, this book, it must go to the printer and it needs a cover. Like, what is that process like? Is that the first time you're hearing of the book? Like, how how does the cover happen? Yeah, so I've kind of tried to study what other publishers do as much as the internet allows for cover design. And I think Oni is a little bit different, or maybe it might be comics in general are a little bit different than what I've found about uh, prose book publishing. And so a lot of times when we will be just kind of given the cover art, and it's hard on our shorter timeline to really get a cover concept before the artist has ever drawn it because we're just moving really fast. And in comics too, I think, design in the past has been a little bit neglected and so we aren't brought our design team isn't brought in sometimes until it's too late and we're like oh we had this great idea but the art's already done and we can't implement it that's just too bad but it still sells well you know it still does its job but it could have been better if we would have been brought in earlier so only luckily um our editorial team is so responsive and we told them that we'd like to be involved earlier and so they're starting to evolve us earlier which is great so that means that we can, if we see a sketch early, which we used to not see sketches, we would just see finished art. But so we'll see sketches early. And sometimes if we have like a lot of time, then we can go through a couple sketches and, you know, be like, oh, we could put the logo here or there or, you know, have them draw like a specific kind of art that we need to integrate the logo. It'll generally be the first thing that we see uh, if it's not already done. But sometimes... We just do the logo without anything, any sort of, we'll just get like touchstones or um, like inspiration from the author. So they'll send us, you know, like covers that they like and a general idea of what they're going to draw. And sometimes we just have to complete the logo beforehand and it gets a little wacky. And I think it's something that the whole comics industry is trying to iron out or at least us. Um, but it's just a work in progress to get it to where we have enough time to make the best cover we can because it really sells the book, you know, it. It's really the first thing people see on the shelves. And so, uh, yeah, it's really important that we do get involved as early as possible. So when you're saying logo here, do you mean the Oni logo? Or do you mean like the title for the book series? Like, what do you mean specifically? Oh, yeah, the, the like the title treatment, the tech treatment for the book series. Because for a lot of times they can be really illustrative and a little gaudy sometimes, but it depends and it'll be a good gaudy. <laughs> but <laughs> try to make the title treatment as impactful as the rest of the cover because a lot of times we don't really have that much control over the cover because someone else is drawing it like books from penguin or other publishers like that 
the designer, it seems like they get to choose what goes on the cover. But for us, we don't really have a choice. It's, you know, it's, it's the main characters or it's the art from the book. And so we are, our original idea goes in the logo as a designer. It sounds like the editorial team are really involved in the cover direction too, from what you're saying. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. They're like the project managers. Um, and also to the artists, if they don't really want a certain message and they'll be, they'll end up drawing the cover in the end. Cause we rarely will have a very graphic cover that doesn't include the illustrators drawing on it. So they're a huge role in what, what the final cover is. And if they don't like an idea, then they'll just draw what they want, which is fine. But sometimes it hinders a great idea that we had. So when you're thinking about a cover, when you're like, okay, here I have this, this blank square of space, it sounds like the editor and the author and you are all kind of like putting ingredients together to make mm-hmm. this happen. And the editor and the author kind of kick off the conversation, figuring mm-hmm. out what kind of things they want to do. And you kind of chip in with your ideas and also with some type direction. Yeah, definitely. And I guess in the end, it's really the logo or the type treatment for the cover that is uniquely the designers, unless the, unless like, like the Tea Dragon Society, Katie O'Neill had already just hand lettered it and it was perfect, obviously, because it's Katie, but yeah, she's amazing. Um, so something like that is just more like art direction and placement and, you know, resizing. But when there's like our blank slate as designers in comics, I think is more of a blank illustrator file for a lo- for the logo slash type treatment. It's rarely the blank full cover. So that's the difference, I think, which is interesting difference between comics design and like prose design. Like, it depends on the artist too. Um, and like Small Favors was one of the books I designed. That one, since it was more of like a classy collection, I got to do everything on that. But um, a lot of times when it's like a, a standard trade, they want a nice action packed or, you know, suitable full image of art that's from the creator, which makes perfect sense. So I know this varies a lot from publisher to publisher. For you guys, is your sales team also involved in this conversation or not so much? Yeah, they will be definitely. Um, from experience as a designer, for something that we feel really strongly about, there's no reason we can't just or we haven't gone to sales and editorial being like, look, we really, really think this is a good idea. And like, we think it's going to fit the demographic and all these things. And we'll talk about it. But that's like the best case scenario. And we have the most time to go back and forth. A lot of times, we're just under a really tight schedule. So we just need to do the best solution for what the time we have. I just always feel like there could be more. But that's not the best way to go about anything. (laughs) Gets you a little neurotic. But it's okay, as long as you communicate with the rest of your team. So I know that Oni has a new distribution deal with Simon & Schuster, which is super exciting. Mm-hmm. Are the the people at Simon & Schuster ever giving you feedback on cover design? Like, are they coming back and be... I, maybe this is too new for it to have happened yet. But are they kind of coming back and being like, well, Barnes & Noble says they would buy some more copies if this cover was blue instead of yellow? No, actually, they, they have in the past, and they'll usually say that directly to our marketing team. And then the marketing team, if there's anything very crucial, they'll let us know. Um, that's happened with, like, titles, like book titles they've even, I think, mentioned, you know, like, well, we don't like this type of word. Or specifically, I remember with Altered History of Willa Sparks, they mentioned in particular that Barnes & Noble, they don't like covers with a split face, where one side of the face has a certain type of style of art, and the other type of the face has, like, 
you know, like opposite haircuts or something like that. And that was a really interesting particular thing that Barnes & Noble does not like. I've heard that kind of thing before. Like, this bookseller doesn't like fire. Yeah. Or, like, or this bookseller hates yellow or like whatever. So there are some other parts of the cover also. Obviously, there's the spine. There's the back cover. Sometimes books have flaps. Mm-hmm. How does that process go? Do those get designed at the same time as the front cover that you're working on? Yeah, they do, actually. Um, I love French flaps. We're like crazy for French flaps at Oni. I know. They're so good. I know. And they're always a little expensive, but we're always like, put French flap or like, quote it, quote it, because we want to see if we can get them. Um, but so, yeah, they'll be included in the cover template that you get from the printer. And um, we use a specific printer most of the time. So their templates are always accurate. And they definitely are considered right when you start designing the cover. And I think they're a huge plus when it comes to book design because there's just so much more space to design on and to include just like extra touches and spot gloss here and there and all that. It's just really fun to have special treatments. My favorite part of any book design is deciding where the special treatments go and what it's going to bring to the book. So then I guess the next thing after the cover, or maybe it actually comes before the cover, is the interior. So what mm-hmm. is that process like? Like, what do you get of the interior and when? And how do you kind of approach laying out, lettering, getting a book colored, like all of that process? You're like, what's the creator giving you? And then what do you do with it? Yeah, so especially in comics, Again, there's a lot of times if it's not an OGN or an original graphic novel, then that means that it's already been published before in floppies, like the single issues, and then we collect them in trades. So we've already had the art, which is, you know, the main chunk of the guts, as we call it. We call the the interiors as guts um, of the book. (laughs) And so, yeah, so basically for me, what I have always focused on in my design life is typesetting. And that's like my number one thing is I'll focus on typesetting until my eyes fall out or turn into letters or something. (laughs) But I also try to think of it as like a brand, its own special brand. So you decide on all the design elements like colors and, you know, you have little flourishes or little illustrations that you do that are custom if it suits the book. So just having fun with those on the interior design, especially in comics when you don't have very many pages that you're designing interior on the interiors. It's usually just the first like five pages and then back matter if there is any, because otherwise the guts are just have already been drawn, have already been published, lettered, colored. You don't touch them necessarily except for prepping. So for design, it's kind of like, oh, what can I do with just the few pages I have and make them really special to like when you open the book, the half title, what they're first going to see when they open the book, that's really special. And that's what we have total control over. So that's the exciting part. And if you're going to do anything, then typeset well. Because <laughs> that's, you know, typesetting the the creator names on the full title spread or the indicia, like even the copyright. Like don't have any orphans, don't have any widows, you know. Like if you have contr- control over anything, just make sure it's it's really focused in and detailed. And can you define orphans and widows for our viewers who did not listen to our terminology episode? I don't think we did that, actually. Maybe we didn't. But they're awesome. It's an awesome publishing term. Yeah, I don't know this one. Tell me. Yeah, I always mix up if it's the orphan or the widow. I think the orphan is the single word at the bottom of like a paragraph. If you type setting just like says like, end or something period on a single line. So it's left behind. And then at the top, or like if you have a paragraph that's running and then it leaves a single word 
at the very top of a page at the end of a paragraph. Those guys are just, you got to cut them out. (laughs) They are a problem. So you're talking about what to do when you have a trade paperback collection, but what do you do when you have an original graphic novel, like something like one of Katie O'Neill's books or Tara O'Connor's The Altered History of Willow Sparks or... Yeah, they're more fun because they're more open-ended, especially if the creator is open to trying some things like Katie O'Neill. If I just had an idea and was like, can you draw this because it's going to fit perfectly here or I want to set the scene to make it look like you're inside of a forest or something like that, then they can just be like, oh yeah, I'll draw that. But sometimes with trades, the design is just kind of standard, especially a licensed title. We can't really do very much. We can't really request assets, but definitely with OGNs, that's when you feel like it's a little bit more unique for design and as a designer. Because it's never been out before, I guess. And usually not as many uh, creators involved. So if there's just like one or two people, it's way easier to wrangle everybody to come to a consensus. Yeah, you're getting to do everything start to finish, which is really, really fun. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. And like there's sometimes when there's like five creators and nobody can decide on anything. You're like, oh, man, why did I ask if we could add, you know, something like that? It was just, it's always good to ask, but you're just like, oh, no, I just made you guys fight over something. Or Yeah. So when you have an original graphic novel, what are people turning into you as far as materials? Do you get like black and white line art that you letter or do you get the line art and the color all at once? Do you get lettering ever from the authors? Like what what pieces kind of come to you? And how do they come to you? Are people like sending you hard drive? <laughs> it totally depends on the creator's preference. And, and if they can handle all three, like we have some awesome creators like Xander Cannon. He does the line art, so he draws, he colors and he hand letters everything, which is amazing. And he does it so well. And so we have creators who kind of all in one, or we also have teams where we have a specific illustrator, we have a specific colorer, and then a specific letterer. So those are all three different people. And so those all come in at different stages. So the standard is we usually have a separate person per step, which would be we get line art in, and that gets QC'd, which is quality controlled, I guess it's kind of like a production term. Um, QC'd by our pre-press lead, Angie, um, who's the best. (laughs) So she'll make sure that it's the right color black and all the things that make sure it'll print well. And she does that also with colors that come in separately, but they'll have the line art on top. And so we get files in that are, uh, we prefer TIFFs and PSDs that we can open in Photoshop. And obviously CMYK, not RGB, because it's just too hard to go back. Um, you need to get the files that are going to print. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, because it's way not just the ones that show up on your computer. Yeah, in in the glows, because sometimes we get files in that are RGB and they have like really awesome glows or like you know something's glowing and then we're like, oh man, that's just going to all go poop and it's just going to go flat and it's just going to look like crap. So yeah, it's only your screen that glows and not paper. Yeah, exactly. And so usually we'll like as our team, we're really diligent about making sure. We're not just going to be like, oh, well, so we'll usually ask them to recolor it. If we have time, we'll usually make time for stuff like that. You know, even though it's a mistake, we want to make sure that it's what they wanted. (laughs) So we're usually like, can you recolor this? Because it's RGB. It's not going to, we'll show them the difference. Be like, this is what you gave us. This is what it's going to look like. So please recolor it because we want you to be happy and not just be like, oh, wow, that only press team just totally overrode my, you know, art and stuff and didn't even tell me why. 
So that's another thing we try to uphold is good standards and ethics for the creators we work with because not everybody knows everything. You got to teach someone if they don't know instead of just like ignore it. So yeah, we try to be good with our technical communication. <laughs> and so we love when, when creators and authors and everybody, we love when they ask questions about trapping or about all the technical things that you don't really learn in school. You just kind of have to learn on the job. So that's another hard part of it. But we were happy to help anybody learn. Oh, trapping. My favorite. So when you're working with authors, do you have like design specs that you send to them before they start drawing their book? Or are you just making do with what they give you? Like how early in the process are you getting in your team getting involved when a book is acquired by Oni or a series is acquired? Like, are you are you literally being like, hey, welcome to Oni. Here's your design specs for drawing your book. Yeah, we actually have a creator packet. I don't, it started a while ago, but we just recently finished revising it because we got some new employees. And so we have like a whole like, welcome to Oni Press. It's like, you know, a 30 page thing or maybe less. We have everybody's bios and we have um, like the <clears throat> the lifespan of a book, like every single step. I think it's about we have like a, about an eight month production time or something like that. So we come in about four weeks until it goes to print, which is kind of a short timeline, but it's worked out pretty well so far. So yes, we give them a creator packet and each department has their own little section that we write down like all of our house guidelines and our house styles and fonts. And we have a list of like approved fonts that we have that we own as a company to give to freelancers being like, here are all these fonts that you could use and you can borrow from us like under our license and things like that. So we don't get a font. We're like, oh shoot, we have to buy it now because, you know, you have the license and we don't have the license, but so we try our best and we hope people read it. Sometimes we get things that are clearly laid out in the guidelines, but don't happen. And that's okay. We just try to reiterate what we said. <laughs> but yeah, so I think it's pretty fun. We all got to write bios and went through and made sure we added all of our like pet peeves, but not worded that way, but make sure everybody's clear on what we see as issues to make the best product or book and make the workflow pretty easy. So not to turn this into horror theater, but can you give us some, of course, anonymized uh, examples of cases where people have not maybe paid attention to guidelines and you've had to fix it? Like, you know, I'm sure people have turned things in and they've been in RGB or in or the wrong like, ratio or. Yeah. No, that's happened before. And luckily we've been able to fix them. But I mean, it, it's usually like an extra stress or an added bump date to a sale date or something like that. But. So I'm trying to be general here, but a lot of it was, yeah, technical or not even to a template size. Like we're like, here's a template to draw a either a cover or a page of art. And it's just, I just don't even know what they were looking at. And we're like, wait, this is square. And we need, you know, that's a little <laughs> exaggerated, but still I'm just like, oh man, like if you wanted help, you should have said it first. Yeah, these first 20 pages at, are at a three by four ratio, but the the next 100 pages are at a five by eight ratio. Exactly. Or the best is when we ask them to make it, if it's too low resolution, we're like, but we need this at 600 DPI and they'll just they'll just blow it up and so there's all this artifacting and it just all pixelated we're like that's the, not what we meant <laughs> and then, so we have to have them redo it again and it's just like we don't want them to be embarrassed but they should be a little embarrassed. I have a friend who I will not name. A friend. Uh, no, I, th th this was no, this one was not me <laughs> who did draw 
a very large number of pages at 72 dpi and had to redo all of them oh i know that's why we're like please please keep a raw copy of anything that we give you like what were they thinking they were thinking it was a webcomic and it wasn't gonna matter yeah exactly we're just like we just want it to look great that's all we want (laughs) okay so you've you've designed the cover you've designed the flaps you've designed the spine you've designed the back cover you've designed the book and the front matter and the back matter we also do a lot of the uh marketing materials too but what happens then so like is that the point where the the original graphic novel goes off to copy editing or does it go off in the ether somewhere else yeah, so we will have usually it's like four weeks out, four to six weeks out for us is a good amount of time to be given the work order. It's what we call it. So we get the work order, our design squad, and it has, you know, the book map and this page has this and story pages one through 100 here. And so, yeah, we design the book. We do everything. We critique with each other within the design department. You know, we print things out. We're like, does this look weird? Does that guy look like he has a penis coming out of his head or something and then like <laughs> but then we realize no or we're just seeing things because we've been staring at our screens too long and then so it's all designed and then we print out the proofing or the whole proof then we give it to editorial and they'll go through and give lettering corrections and even sometimes design corrections if they're like this color looks like puke or something you know we didn't realize and things like that it's nice to have a lot of extra eyes on it and then um, we usually go through we have to have two full proofs at least for at least two editors to go through. And we go through again as a design and production, which is kind of joint for us for design and production. And then once that happens, we will prep it and send it to the printer. And then we have two more rounds of proofing through the printer when they send us things. So we're pretty diligent and still things slip by, but I've rarely ever seen any like glaring mistakes, which I'm happy about. <laughs> so where do the authors come in on that? Do they get to take a look at the proofs too at any point? Yeah, definitely. When we finish the, the second round of corrections before we send it to the printer, we'll rip a PDF, like, you know, a little web ready PDF of the whole book to show the creators. And so luckily when we send it to the printer and we get printer proofs back, any um, corrections that we have are free, so we don't have to pay per page or anything. So that's usually, we try to get the creator a proof before, if we can, like earlier before printer proof stage, but that doesn't always happen. So, but luckily when they do have corrections, we implement their corrections then um, when we still can, when it's still free and they don't have to stop the presses and anything like that. So, and then we get our final proof from the printer, which is called a folding gather. And that's when it's like, printed on the paper we chose the paper stock we chose and sometimes we'll get a wet proof which is where you get like the spot gloss on like a big flat piece of paper it's the actual cover with all the treatments on it just flat not bound and that's when you can't make any changes unless it's like do or die so we've never i've never experienced a book that we've had to change at fold and gather stage so that's very good because it's very costly (laughs) So that's not good. So that sounds really fast to have a four to six weeks turnaround from I have gotten this book, the whole book needs to be laid out and lettered and have front matter and back matter and a cover and go through two rounds of proofs and then go to the printer. It seems like you must be working at hyperspeed all the time. Yeah, that's that. That's insane. A little bit, yeah. Um, luckily, so like the front cover, we'll design the logo on the front cover about eight weeks out, which I forgot to mention. But 
that's when we have to do it for solicits for diamond catalog or maybe it's about six weeks but yeah so for the diamond previews catalog where we solicit just the front cover before simon and schuster it was so hard to change covers from circulating around if they had the not final cover tag on it so we were like okay let's try not to do that because it's so difficult to change it but with simon and schuster their uh platform i think firebrand is what it is it's way easier to change the cover comps on Amazon, on Barnes and Noble, and if there's a change to it. So now maybe it's not as big of a deal if we don't have a final, final, final cover. But we try to make it as close as we can six weeks in advance, which is kind of hard sometimes, but we try our best. But yeah, so then we kind of just have to go wham, bam, bam, do the back cover. And if you're like me, you're kind of always thinking about your books like uh, in and out of the office. So I'm always like, oh, I had this idea last night when I was going to sleep and then, <laughs> then the cover's born. But. So this is like a super nuts and bolts question. And I'm sure this varies from company to company, but now I'm curious for you guys personally, yeah, like the cover on Amazon, are you doing that? Is sales doing that? Is the editor, like who's the person who actually has to hit the buttons and upload the replacement cover to the software? I believe that is... Market, yeah, our marketing team. We okay. have a special projects manager, Amber O'Neill. Hey, um, <laughs> no, but she uh, helps with our metadata and our data management, which is something we've never had before. So now my follow up to that is also so with backing up with the printer. Is your are, are you and your coworkers the ones who are dealing with a printer? Do you have a separate production person who deals with a printer? Like who's emailing back and forth with the printer while this process is going on? It's usually our um, our director of production, which is Troy Look, and he he really is really good with all of the just the technical like the numbers, making sure everything is good. We get our templates, make sure that so he communicates with the printer a lot. But a lot of times, like myself or Angie. Um, because there's a certain method to pre-press, you know, to ex- exporting the books properly, we can uh, upload them ourselves. But when, ter- when it comes to talking to the printer directly, because there's definitely a communication barrier that I think takes time to get accustomed to, that's either our my director or um, our executive editor, Ari, because she's good at scheduling and she's, she's we all wear a lot of hats. <laughs> but yeah, so it's, Ari does it because she just has experience from the past from a lot of making sure our projects are on time. But yeah, I mean, it's kind of closer to the heart than, than most people realize that like, like I myself or Angie will just click and upload all the files to the printer. And that's that, you know, and it's nobody else but us. It's kind of raw. <laughs> so there's some there's some things in production that kind of overlap with editorial and design, like choosing what paper stock to use, or like what kind of cover boards you're going to use, or the effects, like how much of that is part of your job? Are you getting to be like, okay, we need to use uncoated paper this time, and it needs to be 140 pounds? Yep. That's like my favorite part is when you feel really strongly about either side like, you know, some books don't want, don't look good with like foil on them just because you like foil doesn't mean this book needs foil, <laughs> you know, but <laughs> we, like, it's like foil on everything, but it doesn't match. This is like a World War, like two book, or I guess that would match. Anyway. <laughs> Only if it's gunmetal. Yeah, 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 exactly. Not like, not like a sparkly gold foil. But um, yeah, I so have, we have curious printed. about that book where that is appropriate and so, also is about World War II. But anyway, please. it's a World War II book with unicorns. 
But yeah, so we have printer specs meetings where our team design editorial and sometimes marketing if there are some titles that are heavy hitters and not reprints or you know not things that are uh like hot off the marketing press but so we'll all meet together and we'll uh just figure out how many quantities we'll figure out cover treatments and people can come with like you know ideas or because we're, we're doing a book about a dinosaur that's coming out soon and i thought it'd be cool to do embossing on like his skin for like tactile texture so we can come and present whatever ideas we have and just figure out what to quote so then we can see we just we'll quote things that we don't think we can manage for the certain title but we still do it anyway just to see if it's a good idea and sometimes we'll just push good ideas that are more expensive because it'll we think it'll help the marketing and help it sell better it's interesting it's like strategizing and design in a different way in a different timeline for different materials but yes we all meet together and kind of hash it out and see what we think if we should do something more special or if we should just keep it a little bit standard and try to get it, you know, in the hands of people who don't necessarily mind what it feels like. So it always depends on what the book and the title is. And when does that happen? Is that happening during these four weeks or is it happening earlier? Much earlier. Yeah, it's happening usually about solicitation zone. So about eight, like six to eight weeks out. And then, you know, you go into these like four to six weeks where you're kind of in the design crunch where everyone you're putting these proofs together, everyone has to review them. Like what happens if your editor is like, hello, I need to go on vacation or I have a family emergency or if your author and illustrator are like, I have to go on vacation or have a family emergency. Like how how does that kind of work with your schedule? Yeah, let's see. Luckily, I work for a reasonable company and Sometimes we'll just bump the sale dates, you know, I'm not instead of like producing something that can't be as good as we know it can be. If someone was present, then we'll just push the date, the on sale date. Yeah, I mean, this usually has to be for good reason. And we'll usually do it because it's going to cause somebody stress. So, you know, we have to take a reasonable route with that. And sometimes if there's something happening and I'm just like, this scheduling does not make sense for the timeline. I'll just be like, hey, why is this happening so fast? Or why is this? push, you know, I want to know if somebody is sick or, you know, maybe we could finish it quickly and be like, oh, well, I have this idea. I know how to do something. You know, it just needs to be more communication to make sure communication is open. But usually I just try to be logical. And if something isn't logical, then I'm questioning why it's happening. (laughs) So I usually bump it or try to get it done with somebody else or a freelancer, you know, or even if the author's gone, we'll get a fill-in you know, like someone who does a guest issue or something like that. But we just try to keep it flowing so people aren't pulling their hair out (laughs) more than they might already be. So that leads to another question that I know Gina had, which is when and how and why you guys end up hiring freelancers to help you out. Back when I first started, it was like four years ago, and we had, it was just me for like two and a half years, just one designer doing everything, all the marketing materials, everything. And you're doing like 55 graphic novels a year yeah we're i mean we had at one point like 16 books going out in a month that i i mean 16 like there's floppies 16 things going out and there's all me and also so that's a lot of work yeah like i kind of was it was fun and like you know i'm like okay when are we getting some more designers but now we have them um but at least i got to learn a lot but that's when we would call in the freelancers is when we had only one designer, which is, you know, makes sense. But so we have some designers that started doing certain series and we just have them following through. So it was like, like Kaiju Max, Dylan Todd, 
he's a great freelancer that we brought in. And so he started doing Kaiju Max because I was overloaded so many years ago. And so we just kind of kept him on because he knows the style. He works with Xander well and kind of stuff like that. We're just like, okay, that's one less thing for our department to worry about, which I like because the consistency and the design stays the same. Um, and other times it's usually just because we're overloaded or we think that somebody else might have a better style to match a certain book. Um, I mean, it could be like, we're like, oh, we could be overloaded or not, but this person is really nice. We really like them. We want to help build their portfolio. And, it, you know, it just saves us time. And we'd love to, like, let them try out and see if we could, you know, help them just get some more notoriety for their designs, too, because Portland's very small. Or, well, the community is very friendly and close, I guess I should say. So we're always just kind of like, hey, you want to help out? You want to help out? <laughs> Come on over and help us out. So are your freelancers, like, placing art in the InDesign file? Are they doing lettering? Are they doing coloring? Like, what sort of different freelancers do you hire from the design department? Yeah, they're mostly doing logo designs and book designs, because all of our creators are technically freelance anyway. So, like, all of our letters, colorists, and illustrators are technically all freelance, so the like freelance designers we get are, are going to be doing the logos and the book design. And then we get all of their materials back in usually packaged in design file um, through FTP or email or Dropbox. And then we will prep them and make sure everything is CMYK and all that. And so that's the step that we'll do and make sure it gets to print on time and gets all the proofing in house and all that. I, I just want to make sure Mm-hmm. So during this, we've been talking a lot about your schedule. Now, are you is that schedule for trades and original graphic novels? Like you're not just talking about floppies; you're talking about like a like a book that has a spine that you're doing in essentially eight weeks. Yeah, mm-hmm. I jeez, <laughs> I I'm sorry. I've been working with like prose book publishers <laughs> that have graphic novel imprints, and the difference in time scale. I, I'm I'm saying this mostly for the benefit of people who are listening to this who don't already know about this. Like, I just want to stress this. Maybe make that months instead of weeks <laughs> most of the time. I mean, I doubt that a book publisher who's doing graphic novels is literally going to be like lettering your book for eight months. But but the but the cover solicits like eight months out. I, I've done research, you know, because I'm I'm interested in publishing industry in general, so I'm always like reading things and just keeping up with news and I'm just like, oh my God, like, wait, I look around. Once I found that out, I was like, this is really fast, <laughs> you know, but it's, I mean, it felt fast, but I just didn't know how much longer other publishers took. And so I think it's really good learning lesson for someone to start out in comics because you go so quickly. And then if you ever went somewhere else, you'd have, you'd really appreciate the time you had. So maybe it, it's a blessing for all of us. <laughs> I just turned in the like the color thumbnails for my cover for a book that comes out in like September of 2019. Nice. <laughs> and, like this is really I have a few I'm sorry. I have a few friends who did books with Oni first and then moved over to like another imprint like for a second and who were like, "Man, why do they need this for me now?" And like it's all the pieces are coming together now. Why they yeah. were so confused about why they needed to do that stuff so early. It's just a completely different schedule. I mean, whatever works, it's just interesting. I want to know if that's like what other comics publishers do because i'm just curious like i have no idea i don't know who makes these rules i just follow them (laughs) 
Yes. I mean, you're our guest expert on design. So oh. you you are the authority in the room here. I'm I'm like thinking about this. And my experience with book publishing has maybe been like, people get a longer amount of time to look at proofs. And, you know, like, you would design a graphic novel, and then a copy editor would look at it, and that would take a few weeks. And then, uh, I think I think a lot of it goes back to like what I said a, a little bit ago is, and this isn't personal to anybody I know, but I think especially in publishing and in but what's a slower uptake in comics publishing is the neglect of like the design and production departments in general. It's like we personally need way more time, and we're not really given that much time to do the best job we can and yeah so like the timeline is is maybe okay for someone who's you know writing writing up the work orders and things like that but producing things just takes so much longer so we're always we're always running late like our production department and design department are always late because like we don't have enough time for things but everyone's kind of like why is this late it's like well like we're making you late because we never had enough time in the beginning because people don't fully understand the work that we do and that's what i think is a big thing is people not understanding how much time it takes. You like you don't get it unless you actually, you know, have experience with like clicking the buttons or whatever. It's not magic. And so I think that's difficult for some people to grapple with. Yeah. And I also think that a smaller dedicated staff, um, and by dedicated I don't mean like driven and hardworking. I mean like not yeah. having multiple responsibilities mm-hmm. can sometimes turn things around on a dime more than a larger company where it's kind of like the official process is this, you know, goes here, you know, like this goes in the mail and the mail takes a week or any of that sort of thing. Our publisher one time he's talking to me and he's like, yeah, sometimes it's, it's great that we're all like very like multidisciplinary or however you want to say it. Um, but it means that we're doing like five separate things at like 30%, you know, so it adds up to a good percentage, but each of those things might not be performed the best to its ability if we were all dedicated to something, you know, or like really, cause I, I love data management. I love information science. So I'll jump in to help someone else if they need help with like, you know, reorganizing our metadata, but that's not really my job, but we somebody needs help with it. But if we were a bigger company, you know, we could like hire someone to do that. So I do so much shit that isn't technically my job. It's yeah, just called it. being in comics, I think. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So I think that's the thing. And that's what I love. I, I do love jumping around from task to task. But sometimes my coworkers have to be like, hey, Hillary, like focus. We need you right here right now. And I'm like, but there's just so many things to do. <laughs> like, yeah. But also like if you're doing five separate things at 30%, you are doing 150%. So that that seems like a good amount of percents to be to be giving to your your job. <laughs> exactly. So yeah, it's just it's I love the breadth of like activities you can partake in when it's a smaller company, because I get kind of bored easily. You know, I, if I'm just working on just one thing, I want to be able to kind of switch it up. But at the same time, it means that some things might slip under the the standards that you want so just kind of a balance i think and prioritizing learning to prioritize better it's like things like that like using scrappiness in a good way but not in a bad way is a difficult thing to yeah 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 yeah. i actually describe myself as scrappy sometimes (laughs) i'm pretty scrappy (laughs) because you know and we all it was funny because we moved offices um like a little over a year ago and we had the first day of our move, everyone was just building Ikea furniture. And I was like, this is great bonding. And we're all, you know, we're all like, just have to get down and build Ikea furniture and 
we have to do things that we don't think you're going to do on the job <laughs> just because it's just us. And I'm sure Oni is having a version of what, I mean, it's great that graphic novels are becoming a much bigger thing than they were Yeah, not very long ago. And that's great. But it also means that I think basically every comics making publisher that has been making comics for more than five years at this point is having some version of we have a system that's worked really well when we were doing x number of books a year and now we're doing twice that many number of books exactly all of our systems maybe need to be rethought because they don't work as well when you're making twice as many books even if you hire more people yeah it's completely true and like we got more people that means it's just because we're just trying to keep afloat with the things that aren't new projects like we recently had to you know just like re-look through all of our metadata and just we basically did like a data rehaul overhaul with just like Amber, our coworker, and me and one other person who are still working on it. But yeah, it was just like crazy. You've never been faced with some of these like business like strategies. It just was so weird. We just have all these new projects to do that didn't necessarily have to do with designing books or, you know, marketing books, but they had to do with our company of publishing books, which was pretty exciting. But it's just totally new information. So I get what you're saying for sure. <laughs> and Oni's been around a long time. 20 years. It's our 20-year anniversary this year. Happy anniversary. Oh, that, that's so exciting. <laughs> yeah, so it's it's pretty fun, and we're still trying to keep it underground. <laughs> well, that was our... <laughs> our <laughs> no, but it's just been really great. Yeah, it's just a great place. You're always learning on the job, and I don't feel like if I messed up, it would be such a huge deal. Or, I mean, you know, if something I could ask questions and not be expected to know everything all the time. Here's a more overarching design question for you. So you're looking at a book, you're looking at a, the cover, the half title, all of that stuff. Like what happens in your mind that says like, yes, this is a good design mm-hmm. as opposed to looking at it and being like, this is a terrible failure. We have to go back to the drawing board or just like, or mediocre, which is the worst sometimes. Yeah. How, how, like, what happens in your mind? Like, what things do you look for to be like design good versus design bad? Yeah. Like, I'm the queen of noodling, but it's because I feel like, let me just see how I can explain this. So, like, there's parts of a design, there's, you know, there's typesetting, there's just typography, there's background textures, if any, and, you know, there's space. You have to, like, deal with space. Things can't, move around a certain amount of space away from each other, usually like 0.125 or, you know, multiplied or like golden ratio type of stuff like that. And I was like, if this can't logically and mathematically like fit in the space, then it means like to the proportions of the page, then it means that it's not working very well and either you should simplify or you should pick a different typeface or something like that. So I just try to think about the raw proportions of the page and of the space and make everything measured you know, by some certain type of margin and things like that. So I try to get really technical with it. Otherwise, I could just go and play around forever and there would be no parameters and that's not good either. So I try to, yeah, just take a very like mathematical approach so that I can have fun within my boundaries. (laughs) But like expanding on that, there's also a deadline and there's also other people that are involved in the final design. So if you feel happy with something, then show people and they'll have comments or not. But if you aren't feeling happy, if something isn't feeling right, then you also should <clears throat> show people and see what they think. Cause in the end it's for somebody else. So never like hold your design too closely to your chest. If something isn't feeling right or if something's feeling too right, you definitely need to be checked <laughs> on that. So definitely print it out, look at it from a different angle, 
go back to the beginning and simplify. Do you ever do that thing where you shrink it down really small in Photoshop and to a tiny thumbnail and see what's this going to look like on Amazon kind of thing? Yeah, or I do that all the time. Yeah, all the time. And, and I'm like, okay, this high, like they're all the same. Like the text is all the same, like color, you know, or like it just looks like a blob. I'm like, okay, there's no hierarchy here. And you like make this bigger. Yeah, I think it's a great way to look at it. Just zoom in, zoom out. Like, like some people I see who are using the programs, they've never put like an InDesign, like you push W, you do preview mode or, or not. And like some people just never look at like where their guides are and stuff like that. I'm just like, oh man, you gotta look behind the, gotta look under the hood and then put the clothes back on or whatever. <laughs> you have to see the matrix. Yeah. Do you have any advice to people who are might be considering a career in comics design? They want to have your job one day. What should they do? What should they be thinking about? Are there good things for them to learn? Like what's what's their first step? I think they need to be looking at Craigslist. Yeah, yeah. Look on Craigslist. Look where you don't expect like under the bed. No, just kidding. Um, so I <laughs> Lots also of design think, there. Yeah. I think honestly work on people skills, like soft skills. If we're trying to be super portfolio-y about it, use some buzzwords. Um, soft skills are really important. And thinking about other people first than just yourself is really important. I think in terms of being a designer in general, because like in the end, it's not doesn't really matter what you like. It matters how other people see things. Just have empathy. And that's step one. <laughs> and then, but yeah, other than that, just don't stop working on designs in your free time. Just whatever your passion is, just do it every waking hour. And then your apartment will look like mine with things everywhere. <laughs> Tripping over books. <laughs> no, but I think it's just about having passion and having a clear, authentic passion that includes other people. And you want to share it with them. And to search for job sites, apply to anything, or I mean, not anything, apply to a lot of things that apply to you. <laughs> and I think just keep practicing. And nowadays, there's so many ways to get involved in the design community outside of a job too, like workshops and all that. So just keep meeting people. And then hopefully you'll find the Craigslist ad. <laughs> what about for cartoonists who want to do good design um, or who want to work with their designer well. Do you have any advice for them? Yeah, I think just being really open to communication, obviously, and also open to like seeing things that might not be perfect at first and like understanding that it's like a development journey. At the very beginning when I started out, I would show editors things that were like really conceptual and they were like, what am I looking at? And I was just like, oh, shoot, I forgot to prime you on the fact that this is how my brain works, you know, things like that. And be like, but, but the text isn't centered. I'm like, yeah, yeah, I'll get there. Like, look at the color, you know, look at the composition. But like, not everybody thinks that way. So like, as a non-designer or, you know, an artist colorist, like even taking those fine art skills or even a writer, just taking that type of like themes, the imagery, like realize that it's a developmental process and we're kind of in this one and the same where we're working on something to get to that final end point, not, just showing you something that's perfect at the beginning. It's like, we want to work with you to develop something. We don't want to just show you something and tell you how it is because we're not sure yet. And we want to work with you about it. Figure it out. It's so interesting listening to you talk about this. I hadn't really thought about this before, but it, it occurs to me that in a way design is very much like 
hand in hand with editorial and that it's a job that's ultimately about being invisible. Like you're basically working in service of making this book the best version of itself that it can be in a way that should feel totally transparent to the person picking the book up. Exactly. Yeah. Design is like good design is invisible is one of the quotes. I can't remember who that's from. Maybe like Paul Rand or something, but yeah. And it's kind of like, we're like not to sound boring or bland, but we're kind of a service provider we're here for you and like the design is, is, is all about storytelling it's about telling your story and you're you're also as a creator or author I'm assuming you also kind of want to separate yourself from your story so it's like a floating little book in the air it's like this whole little thing that's just all separate from us but we're all touching it and making it happen if that if I describe that well but yeah it just it's like a whole new little baby in the world it's like it's a living thing it has a lifespan and you want to not just have your name plastered all over it. <laughs> also, the image that I had just then is basically the book crowd surfing as we all like support it and pass yeah, it with sparkles around it. Yeah, like yes. a purple sparkle sheen. <laughs> yes, until it gets to go up on stage. Yep, exactly. Okay, um, is there anything else you want to talk about? I think we're about wrapped up, unless um, we missed anything, which is of course one hundred percent possible, one hundred and fifty percent possible. <laughs> Yeah, no, I think that covers it. I mean, I just like want to give a shout out to my design and production team and Oni Press because they rule and that's about it. <laughs> we condone shout outs here on Graphic Novel TK. Oh, good. And also, I quite like all of the people at Oni um, and the books that you do. Yeah, Hillary, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us about all this. Yeah, thanks. It was really awesome. I really enjoyed it a lot. Oh, us too. It was so good to get to talk to you. Well, if you ever need any more design talks, I am here. Graphic Novel TK is co-produced by Gina Gagliano and Allison Wilgus and is brought to you by The Beat. You can find our show notes along with other comics news and podcasts at comicsbeat.com. Our podcast graphics were created by Shivana Sokdeo. Our theme music is by Poddington Bear. You can follow us on Twitter at GraphicNovelTK or email us at GraphicNovelTK at gmail.com.